I actually have one more announcement before I, I get into preaching, and that is this. Uh, on this Friday at 11 o'clock, you are all invited. I forgot to announce it's the first service, but you are all invited to a celebration, uh, reflective tribute uh, to my father. Uh, he, uh, he graduated last night. He got his prize. He finished the race. And he heard, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And i like us just all to give the Lord a hand clap for that one. Amen. He, he made it. He made it. I'm so proud of him. Uh, as m- many of you know, he had a massive stroke and a brain hemorrhage three weeks ago. And until we could get the final uh, analysis from the doctors, he was put on life support. We had to make a very, very, very difficult decision, one that we wrestled with for some time. But uh, this last week on Monday, the doctors gave us the prognosis, and that was that there was uh, very little, very little chance that he'd recover much of anything of his mind and nothing of his body and would be in an institution on life support, uh, basically in a coma the rest of his life. And with his heart, that could have been a very long time. And we know that dad wouldn't want that. And so on Thursday, we waited till the day after Christmas when the family could be together. And uh, we removed him from life support. And it was a tender, very emotional. It's, a, it's that kind of odd thing in life where you're, you're happy for what's going to happen to him. And yet there's a, there's a sadness that is there because it was never meant to be like this. Uh, but we're, we were there and it was a sweet moment. I feel the Lord was with us. Um, and uh, we were able to say our, our final goodbyes to my dad. And there, there was, in fact, at one point just prior to our, our, uh, them removing the tubes and, and all the apparatuses and buzzers they had on him, uh, I, was, I was giving him a hug and just, you know, thanking him for being my dad and all that he did for me and, and how proud I am of, of the, the change that the Lord has brought in his life and how God has used him to touch thousands of people. His questions have, have been a vehicle of saving literally thousands as God's taken this correspondence that he and I had in, in the book Letters from a Skeptic. It's been translated into eight languages now. And I get, I get feedback all the time of people who have, who have come to the Lord through that. And more often than not, the emphasis is on give your dad th- tell your dad thank you for asking such probing, profound questions, ones that I've always had, but he argued them so well. And I was just saying that to him. And just before they took out the tubes, he did something he's only done a few times since he went into this coma, and that is his eyes opened very wide. And I was looking right into his eyes, and I don't know how much was going on there, but I believe at some level he understood what we were saying. And, and I, it just moved me to be able to look into his eyes one last time, and I just said, Dad, you know, we love you so much, and you're surrounded by love, and you're going to be surrounded by even more love in a little bit. And we've got to let you go now. We've we, we, we got to release you. And you can let us go. we got everything under control. You don't have to worry about Gene. His wife will take care of her. Everything's fine. Just ease into this, Dad. Just, you can let go. And, uh, and, and be looking for Jesus because he's waiting for, with you for open arms. And when we, we, then we began to pray as he was looking at us. And he uh, squeezed uh, uh, his wife's hand. And, and at that point, we all lost it. It's like, oh, you heard that. And it, it was, it was a, a beautiful thing. And then uh, it, when we removed life support... Uh, he went, basically, biology took over, and he had a strong heart that fought for a while, but he was in peace and com- comfortable. And last night, I got a call from the doctor saying that, uh, or from, from uh, his wife saying that uh, he'd, he'd passed on. And maybe you're wondering what I'm doing here when my dad just, just uh, you know, died. 
Uh, and it, it, what it was is we brought closure on Thursday. I, I feel like I was there there at half week. We, we, there was nothing more to do but wait. And I felt like I was supposed to be here with this message uh, at this time, in this situation, actually. Because the message that we're going to talk about is about love never ending. We're going to finish up the series on love by talking about the end of 1 Corinthians 13, which says love never ends. And uh, given what I've just been through, this gave it a perspective that is uh, just profound. You know, just before I, the last time I, the last words I said to my dad when he was totally coherent, as I was walking out the door, it was about a month ago when I was visiting him in, in his home in mid uh, in central Wisconsin. I, I said, Dad, I, 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 you always have to talk loud to him because he was almost totally deaf, almost totally blind, couldn't walk. He was just wheelchair bound. But I said, Dad, I got two jobs for you. And like he always did, he goes, yeah, boy. And I said, okay, first of all, you keep me covered in prayer. Remember that you're my prayer warrior. You got a lot more time on your hands than I do. You keep me covered. And he goes, yeah, boy. And then I said, and dad, dream. I was standing right at the door, just getting ready to go out. And I, I just, I'm so glad I said this. I said, dad, dream dreams of heaven. You know, the Bible says to set your mind on things above, not, not on things in this earth. And sometimes just sitting around the house, he couldn't listen to music, couldn't watch TV or anything. I said, just dream. Think about what that will be like when, when we're, we don't have any of this illness and sickness and separation and sorrow anymore, when this war is over with and, and God is victorious, when you can see like you were supposed to see and hear like the ears were supposed to hear and you'll be able to run and sing and dance again and you'll meet loved ones you've been separated from for so long. Just dream dreams about that that savor heaven and, and just enjoy that. And he got a smile on his face and he kind of got choked up. And he said one last time, yeah, boy. And the joy of my heart is to know, and I know it with, with absolute certainty, that that dream has now come true for him and I'm happy for him. That dream has now come true for him. Uh, it, it's, amen. That's why, you know, there's a sorrow, but there's also a real joy. Um, the last time he, he came to a little bit, right after the stroke, when they started draining his, his skull from the pressure that was being built up there, and uh, he, he mouthed bye-bye to him. I said, bye-bye, Dad, as I was leaving. He went, bye-bye, with, with his mouth. He couldn't talk, but he just mouthed that. And see, what I know, as certain as I know I'm talking to you right now, what I know is that that is a temporary bye-bye. It's going to be followed by a hello-hello very shortly. And the reason I know that is because love never ends. Uh, that's, that, that's what we're preaching on here. It, 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 it culminates this love message. We'll be continuing to talk about love for sure in, in series to come because everything ultimately is, is indirectly about that. But I want to wrap up this series that we've been on for six, seven months by preaching out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Love Never Ends. It reads like this. Love never ends. Everyone say that. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, and remember this is all in the context of the spiritual gifts, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they're going to cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. I want to just pause there for a moment. Uh, There's a school of thought out there called dispensational theology. Uh, Dallas Theological Seminary is sort of the mecca of dispensational theology. And, w- and what this theology holds is that the complete refers to the Bible. And so they believe that when the Bible came about, all of the gifts of the Spirit, tongues and prophecy and word of knowledge and those things, were also, also supposed to come to an end. 
there's, I, I, I don't want to preach on this, but I'll just say that there is no reason to think that that is true and a lot of reasons to conclude that that is false. Uh, for one thing, Paul doesn't refer to the complete as the Bible. They're guessing on that one. For another thing, it's not even clear that Paul was aware that he was writing the Bible. He was, he was aware that he was writing under inspiration, but it, I don't think he had it in his, in, in his mind the idea of a canon of Scripture that he was contributing to. For another thing, he says in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, he says to the Corinthians, I don't want you to lack any spiritual gift, the same word he uses for gift here. I don't want you to lack any spiritual gift until the Lord comes back, when the complete comes on that day. So it's very clear Paul believed that the gifts of the Spirit... Uh, that he refers to in 1 Corinthians 12 and in 1 Corinthians 14 were supposed to be in operation until the Lord came back. Uh, the, the, the final thing is this. He says when the complete comes, everything that's in part will be done away with. And it seems to me that everything about life is still in part. Uh, if he says, for example, that when the complete comes, we won't know. Uh, we won't have the kind of knowledge we have now because we know in part. But when the complete comes, every, our, our, everything that's in part will be done away with. But we still, we don't know much, but we do know in part. And since we still know in part, it seems like the idea is that we're supposed to be still having tongues and prophecy and all those other kind of things. Uh, the complete refers to the, 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 the complete. When the Lord brings the creation to completion... It's in process now, it's partial now, it's fragmentary now, it's torn by the war that we've been singing about now, but he is going to win, and when he wins, he'll bring it into completion. All loose ends will be tied up, everything that's incomplete will be filled out, uh, he will reign supreme upon the earth, and that's, that's the goal of the whole thing. When that happens, everything that's in part will be done away with. Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, though, I put away childish ways. Pause again. The word childish there is not a negative word, like you're acting childish, though it is a negative when you apply it to an adult. But it just means appropriate to a child. A child thinks and acts and behaves and plays in ways that are appropriate to a child. But when you get older, those things that are appropriate to a child no longer apply to you as an adult. Now, it's very clear what Paul's referring to is the completion. When the completion comes, we will be adults. And we're in the process of becoming adults now. But right now we're in a childlike stage of existence. We're in a childlike epoch, an, an era, uh, where um, we are, are in the process of growing. And so there are things that are appropriate to us now that won't be appropriate later. Tongues is, is, is good now, but it won't be needed later on. Prophecies, word of knowledge, all of those kind of supernatural things, wonderful. Uh, they have an important role to play in the kingdom now. But when the complete comes, they won't be around. In fact, faith won't be around, and neither will hope. That's all, those are all things that are partial, they're fragmentary, they're, 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 they're dim, and when the complete comes, we'll grow out of those. We will know the Lord as, uh, as He is, which leads to the next metaphor. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, but then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. That is such a profound, profound picture. What, what Paul is saying there is this. And again, I'm not preaching yet, all right? Uh, I, I'm getting there. But Paul is saying this. When, when we grow up, when the creation is brought to completion, when the goal of the whole thing is finally realized, then we will know as we are known. What he's saying is that right now we know as children. We think as children. 
Uh, we don't understand most things. We don't get most things. We don't, even, we don't even look in the mirror right. The way we see ourselves is dim. The way we see each other is dim. The way we understand God is dim. The way we experience God right now is dim. Our capacity for experiencing God is dim. We're in a fragmentary, childlike stage of existence right now. But when we grow up, Paul says, when we become adults, we'll get rid of the mirror, get rid of the foggy glass, the smoke will lift, the, dece- the, the, the deception will, will lift. All the things that hide the adult part of us, all the childlike stuff that hides the adult part of us, all the things in this world that hide the real us, the wounds and the scars and the deceptions that we bought into, they will all be done away. And now we'll see each other as we really are, and we'll know ourselves as we really are, and we'll know God as he, as he really is with perfect clarity. And what all that will be about is love. Everything that conceals, suppresses, blocks, dims, distracts love is part of this preliminary stage of existence, this war zone. And someday it's all going away. And then we'll know things fully. We'll grow up. We'll be what God always wanted us to be. We're on our way to getting there. Someday it will be brought to completion. And then he says finally, and now faith, hope, and love abide. These things are all are, are important. But the greatest of these three is love. Even greater than faith, as important as faith is, you need to have faith. Even greater than hope, that confident assurance of things to come, it's so crucial, it's so vital, but even more important than that, the greatest of these is love. Now, here's the thing. As I talk about my father and the celebration that I have and the confidence that I have that the bye-bye is not a permanent bye-bye, because I believe that love is eternal. And when, when a person says yes to Jesus Christ, that love comes towards them and begins to flow through them. My dad's last 10 years were just a transformed 10 years. I praise God for it. But when I say that, if you don't believe what I'm saying, if you don't believe that love is eternal, you just believe that we're matter, we're here now, if you believe that, there is, if you're honest with yourself, a part of you that wishes it was true. You have to be honest with yourself. In fact, if you're really honest with yourself, there's a part of you, the core of your being, that believes that that is true. Now, maybe your mind, your intellectual reasoning won't give you permission to believe that. But there is an impulse in your inner being, as there is in every human being, an impulse, an intuition, a a core conviction that love never ends. It's the most fundamental, I believe it's the single most fundamental defining feature of a human being. It's the most fundamental thing that makes us in the image of God. We believe at the core of our being, whether we admit it or not, that the reason for everything and the most important thing, what's behind everything, the goal of everything is love. Love never ends. The thought that I will never see my dad again, that he will just end up ashes, uh, that the thought that all of his dreams and hopes and aspirations, all the things he worked for, all the love that he gave, all the ups and downs of his life, the total combination uh, of all the experiences of his life end up worm food. That idea is repugnant to the human spirit. Admit it. It means that life would be absolutely absurd, absolutely irrational, absolutely meaningless, without point. A story told by an idiot, as Shakespeare said, full of sound and fury, signifying absolutely nothing. It means that our core convictions about life, that good should overcome evil, that life should make sense, we presuppose that with every scientific experiment we ever do. Those convictions that love should reign, good should overcome evil, those convictions are fundamentally wrong and out of place in this meaningless, absurd universe. 
It means that we are freaks of nature out of place in, the, in, our, in our natural environment. There's no sense to anything, no point to anything, no meaning to anything. In the end, life is tragic, life is sad, life is painful, and life is absurd, and that's all there is to be said about it. And at the core of a human being, there is a revolt uh, uh, to that. That can't possibly be true. Which is why when Paul says that love never ends, at the core of our being, there's something that says yes to that. Even if you're not a Christian here this morning, there's something that says yes to that. It's the reason why when we hear the story of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there is uh, a part of us for which that rings true. Even apart from historical argumentation and historical proofs, of which there is a good deal. But even apart from that, the proclamation that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that death could not hold him in the ground, it, it, there's something in us that says yes to that. Because at the core of our being, we believe that, that love should not be quenched by, by, by death. The proclamation that in the end, oh, there's opposition now, there's fight now, there's things that resist light now, there's things that resist God now, there's things that resist love now. But when all is said and done, the devil does not win, death does not win, hatred, bigotry, bias does not win. But God, through the person of Jesus Christ, uh, is victorious. He was in the ground, but he rose up out of the ground and resurrected life as showing that love cannot be conquered. God's will cannot be vanquished. God's plan cannot be thwarted, praise God. God's love will reign supreme. And for all who say yes uh, to that love and allow, to, allow God to transform them by that love, they shall reign with Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. In the core of your being, you know that is true. You know that is true. You know that is true. Love lasts forever. It reigns forever. And it's the only thing about which that is true. It never ends. That's why it is, as we've been saying over and over again throughout this series, the central thing of human life, the central goal, everything else is a footnote to this. Paul says, live in love. Okay, that, that we are the body of Christ. We are to uh, uh, exemplify, manifest the completion of humanity. And what that most essentially looks like is not our beliefs and it's not our ethical convictions. It's the quality of love that we have for all people at all times. Uh, we, we, we manifest the love of God. So Paul says, live in love. Above all, put on love. Uh, let all that you do, all that you do, all that you do be done in love. Don't do a single thing that's not motivated by love and is done for the purpose of furthering love. The only thing that counts, he says, the only thing that in the end counts is faith working through love, energized by love. Uh, the whole law, he says, is summed up in this. Uh, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Get this one down and ultimately you'll get everything else down. But fail to get this down and there is nothing else worth getting down. You just have got dead religion. The point of the whole thing, the purpose for which God created the world, the, the, the central goal of our life has got to be to love like God is love. Love never ends and it's the only thing that does not end. That's why Paul says tongues, they come to an end. They're, they're, they're good now, they're important now, but they come to an end. Prophecy is good. It's important. It has a role in the church, an important role, but it will someday come to an end. Uh, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, the ability to do miracles, all those gifts are good. They have an important place, and I pray that our congregation grows in our understanding of those things and the appropriate application of those things, but they, in the end, they, 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 they cease. All of our beliefs, even our faith, even our hope, all the particulars of our theology, all the particulars of our ethical convictions in the end, come to an end, which is why. They all, all of those things only have meaning to the extent 
that they're done out of love for the purpose of furthering love. When we subtract love from those things, as we've said a number of times in this series, when love is subtracted out of our spiritual gifts and out of our agendas and out of our beliefs and out of our ethics, what you have is something that is simply, as Paul says so eloquently at the beginning of this chapter, it is religious noise. It's a clanging song, uh, gong, uh, a clanging cymbal. It's, it's just religious noise. Now you have childishness in, in, in a wrong sense of the term. In fact, what you have when you subtract love out of your beliefs and out of your ethics, the extent to which you do those things and they're not done out of a fullness of love you get from God for the purposes of manifesting love, what you get is actually worse than noise. What you get is an idol. If you're not being fed strictly by the love of God flowing to you and through you, then you're trying to get fed by the rightness of your theology, the rightness of your ethics, the things that you do, how spiritual you are, and what you have is a religious idol. You feed, you get significance, you get worth out of how right you are as opposed to the wrong people, or how godly you are as opposed to the supposed sinners, or how spiritual you are as opposed to the dead Christians, and how many gifts you have as opposed to the people who don't have the gifts, and that's a religious idol. And hear me now, it would be better if you didn't have it at all than to have it for that reason. If you're feeding off of it, get rid of it. You're not doing the kingdom of God any good. All division in the church, all, all, all judgmentalism, all Phariseeism is a result of doing good stuff for all the wrong reasons. And if you're not doing it out of love to further love, it's a wrong reason. It's the reason why the prostitutes and the tax collectors don't gravitate to the church the way they did Jesus. They stay clear of the church because you've got people there who feed off of them. They're not like them, and they, they get life from the fact that their ethics and their theology is, is right as opposed to wrong and good as opposed to bad. And when you've got that... You don't have love, and therefore you've got something that is not only a clinging gong and irrelevant, you've got something that is absolutely destructive. The only source of life is Jesus Christ. The only source of life is the love of God that flows by His grace to sinners such as us when we open our heart to Him. The only thing that manifests life is the love of Jesus Christ flowing out of it. Don't get your life from your theology. Don't get your life from your ethics. Don't get your life from your rightness. Don't get your life from your goodness. And don't get your life from your spiritual gifts. Get it from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And all those other things are good. They're good. I'm not, they are wonderful. We need them. Because there are ways in which God's love can be flowed out and ministered to the body of Christ. But if you take the love out of the equation, you've got an ugly, divisive, judgmental, pharisaical, and I even want to say demonic religious idol that will do no, nothing but harm to you and to the body of Christ. Love is the most important thing because it never ends. Love is the most important thing because it's the one thing in life that is stable. Everything else is unstable. I enjoy the gift of tongues. I, I pray on my own, you know, my own prayer closet with tongues and when I'm driving in the car. And, and uh, don't you think I'm special because of that? Come on, let me feed a little bit here. I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's a good gift. But you know what? I find that sometimes I, 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 I go through a period where, I, where I, that, that doesn't happen at all. Other times I feel very inspired to do it. it it's there and it's not there, you know, uh, and that's fine. I, I don't worry about that. I just don't want to base my life on that. I don't want to feel okay because I'm speaking in tongues. Uh, you know, word of knowledge. I've been used a few times with the word of knowledge. Man, it lands. It's powerful when it, when it happens. There's a few people in the congregation that I know really have a gift on that one. Uh, but, you know, you, you, you can not have it and then have it, and then you have it and then you don't have it. It kind of comes in and, it's, and it goes. It's wonderful while it's there. Don't try to manufacture it or try to have it. You can't. But uh, thank God when it's there. But don't base your life on it. 
it, it can be a little bit unstable. I know people who didn't even believe that the gifts of the Spirit were, were proper and then did believe it and entered into it. I knew other people, and I, I feel bad for this, but they believed that it was proper and then changed their minds and it wasn't proper. Uh, you know, it, it, it's there sometimes and it's not other times, and so it is with all the gifts. Uh, you, can't, you, you can't get life from that. It's not stable. Even your beliefs. I don't know about you, but I've changed my mind on a few topics over the years. Has anyone else done that? I, I find that there's things where I, I thought were really important early on in my Christian life that right now I couldn't think are more irrelevant. Uh, there's things I was convinced of that I now I really doubt, and things I used to doubt that now I'm convinced of. You know, I, I, I find, I think that's very normal. Don't, don't get insecure about this. Your pastor's not going to wake up a, a, a Shinto Buddhist tomorrow or something. I, I've got a core conviction of things that I'm really sure of, but the, most of the things that people get hot and bothered about, I, I, I don't know how you can be that certain. It's like, I can see that point, I can see that point. I think this is a little more probable, but, you know, so here's what I'm inclined to think. But that's why I give, I got to give people a lot of space to process Whoa. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of, see, I, I'm, I'm just off balance on all these things. I, I, I give people a lot of space because I'm in process and I'm sure they're in process. And I think that's a kind of human thing, isn't it? You know, you, you change your mind on stuff, but that means you can't, you can't get life. Don't base your life on your eschatology, okay? Be pre-trib if you want. Be millennial. I don't care. But don't be feeding off it. Don't get life from it because you may change your mind. Read a couple of books. Talk to a couple of people. You see, if you're getting life from your theology, and this is one of the sad things about conservative Christianity, if you get life from your theology, you are right. You've got the key to eschatology. You've got the key to predestination. You've got the key to Romans 9 or what have you. Fine. I'm happy for you. Share it. But see, if you're getting life from that, you can't, you can't possibly really be open to talk about it. All you can do is get mad when people disagree with you. All, you know, if, if an intelligent, godly person disagrees with you, you've got to, in your mind, convince yourself that they're not really intelligent or godly because if they were godly intelligent, surely they would agree with you. You know, so you need to be certain here. You're, you're wringing life out of your certainty. And so that, that's what causes churches and Christians to divide and not talk to one another. And in the name of the rightness, they lose love. The enemy laughs at the whole thing. Have your convictions and all for it. Keep on processing. Keep on exploring. But see, the only thing that is stable, the only thing you can do at all times and all places that you can count on is love. That God loves you with an unsurpassable love and that you are called to love with an unsurpassable love. And you know what? I can be certain or I can be confused, but I can, in either situation, I can love. I can be doing really good ethically. I can be doing a, having a struggling time ethically, but either way, I can love. It's, it's a permanent thing. It's the one thing that's eternal. I can be healthy and I can be sick and either way, I can love. I, I, things can be going well. Things can be going bad. Either way, I can love. I, I can have my opinions all, you know, just line up in a row, and, or I can have my opinions sort of all being questioned. But one thing I know is this. I, 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 can, I can love. I can love. I can have my Christology down and my eschatology down and my bibliology down, and, or maybe I'm confused on some of that stuff. But either way, I know that I can love. In all situations, I know that I can love. Whatever the circumstances, I can stand on this. I am loved, and I'm called to love. Uh, in good times and in bad, whether I'm living or whether I'm dead, I can stand on this. I am loved and I'm called to love. Love is the greatest of all these things. Your hope may waver. Your faith may falter. But the greatest of these is love. Because it's the one thing that is stable and it's the one thing that's eternal. Praise God. Amen. And there's nothing else about which that can be said. Everything we do in love, everything we do in love when it's surrendered to God becomes part of our eternal life with Him. And and Holy Spirit, I want to ask you to make this concept, but could be difficult, uh, clear to us, because it's an important one. Paul's teaching here gives eternal significance to every area of our life. 
the one thing that's going to last is love. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 says that everyone's works will be tried by fire. Read it. 1 Corinthians 3, talking to Christians. Uh, some things, uh, are, some, a lot of our life will be wood, hay, stubble. It will be burned up. It's the fire of God's purging love. Because only what is consistent with God, who is perfect love, only what's consistent with that is going to enter into the kingdom of God and reign with God forever as a, as a, as a mirror, as a reflection of his love. Everything else is going to be gone. It, it's, it was simply there in the childlike stage of existence to get us the, to, to, to the completion. And so it will be tried by fire. And the only thing that will last are the things that we based on, that we were rooted on the foundation of the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. Only what is done for the purpose of love out of a motivation of love, lasts forever. But everything we do on that foundation lasts forever. Your, your achievements in life, they're going to burn, except insofar as they are motivated by love and furthered love. Your, your recognition that you're so proud of, the, the spiritual heights that you climb and people notice it, it's all going to burn up. It's not, you're not going to take it with you. You may, you may have your reward now like the Pharisees. Jesus said, verily you have your reward, but it's not a reward that's going to follow you past the grave. What do you take with you past the grave? You don't take your house, you don't take your car, your enormous bank account, all the riches, all the gold, all the, the, the pres- prestige that you have, your wonderful abilities, your health, your athletic skills, your smarts, your brains, the books that you've written, all of it is altogether worthless and we will be burned up as stubble, except insofar as it was motivated by the singular motive of love for the purpose of furthering love, and now it becomes something gold. It becomes something that survives the fire and it lasts forever. When we love like God is love, and only to the degree that we love like God is love, when we mirror Jesus Christ in our life, we participate in God's life, and God's life lasts forever. This is what Jesus means when he says you're storing up treasures for yourself in heaven where moth and rust doesn't corrupt. You're investing in eternity. Everything else is going to be burned up. You're participating in God's life, Zoe life, the Bible calls it. Uh, It is eternal life that we have even right now. And it gives an eternal dimension to everything we do in love. You take it with you and nothing else do you take with you. It, It is causing a ripple effect, as it were, a ripple effect that lasts throughout eternity. For the greatest of loving things to the smallest of loving things, when the lady cuts you off on the highway and instead of cursing her, you, you, you ascribe unsurpassable worth to her. Uh, when you do that, you're, you're doing something that participates in the eternal life of God. You're, 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 you're creating a splash that has ripples throughout eternity. When you, when you pour your life into your spouse rather than being poured out totally into making money, and when you pour your life into your kids, even though there's more interesting things you could do, you're doing sacrificial love stuff, ascribing worth to another. That's what love most essentially is. That's what God does to us. That's what we're called to do to one another. And when we do that, we turn otherwise temporary moments that are insignificant into eternal moments that, that in some way last forever. They participate in God's eternal life. When we sacrificially help those in need, when you befriend the friendless and sacrificially help the homeless and sacrificially feed the poor, you're not just doing a nice deed. You're doing something that lasts forever because you're mirroring the life of God. You're participating in the life of God. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4 says, We are participants in His divine nature, that loving nature, that self-sacrificial nature, the nature revealed on, on Calvary. You're now replicating that in your own little way in life, and it goes on forever and ever and ever. When you forgive those who maybe are in human terms unforgivable, instead of holding the debt, you release the debt because God has released the debt towards you. 
And, and even though maybe they don't even want to be forgiven, they don't even know that they offended you. Maybe they mock your forgiveness, but when you do it anyways, when you, you're participating in Jesus' prayer, Father, forgive them. As he was being nailed to the cross, you're doing something, the ripple effects of which last forever and ever and ever. It never dies. The love that Paul talks about being forever isn't an abstract love. Love is always particular. You can't be a loving person and not love particular people. You are loving only to the degree that you're loving particular people at particular moments and particular circumstances. That is what never ends. The act of loving the particular never ends. When you pour yourself out for another, when you play with the child who, who has no one at the birthday party to play with, you're doing something that invests in eternity. You're participating in the life of God, and it lasts forever. The only reason, the only justification for having a church, an organized religion, with all of the normal weirdness that goes with that, the only reason for it is that we can cause bigger ripples together than we can individually. God is a, amen, amen. That, that, that's why we're here. That, this is what it's about. We come together to worship God. We come together to get motivated. But if you think that's what church is, you know, you're really missing it. It's because we can, we can be more loving individually by being more loving together. God, the social God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, wires it that way. And so we pool our resources in to cause a bigger splash, which causes more ripples. We pool our resources to support, for example, a counseling clinic where every week, we've got a four-week waiting list here because there are people every week being ministered to. Marriages are being saved. People are being helped to get out of depression, bringing thoughts captive to Jesus Christ, being freed from addictions. We, We all invest in that, and that's part of investing in eternity because it's a loving thing to do. We pool our resources to have a family ministry and a children's ministry and a small group ministry that helps people out of their isolated existence and to get plugged into one another. We pool our resources to have a youth center, and that's what we're driving at this next year because it's loving to get kids off the street. It's loving to bring them in an environment where they can experience love. Some of them won't experience it any other way. It's loving to get involved in a kid's life when they have a pregnancy they didn't plan on and when they have a drug problem they can't get out of and when they have a, uh, a, a home problem that they can't deal with and we're there for them, just to be there for them. We pool our resources to make a splash that will cause ripples way bigger than we could ever do individually. And so it is for every ministry of the church. This is why we're here. It's what church is all about. The body of Christ loving outrageously, uh, getting out of our self-centeredness to participate in something bigger than ourselves, which glorifies Jesus Christ and spreads his love to the world around us. That's why we're here. That's what it's all about. It is, and hear me on this, this is just this is it. This is, this is, I feel like after saying this right here, I don't need to say another sermon, but I will. But it is to the extent that we live outside of ourselves, to the extent that we live replicating who, who, what God has done for us, to the extent that we swim upstream from this me-centered culture where it's always about me, what's in it for me, what about me, what about my rights, what about my things, to the extent that we contradict that, swim upstream on that, to the extent that you live uh, uh, not centered on yourself, but rather living and giving, to that extent, you're doing stuff that lasts forever. It causes ripple effects that go on throughout eternity. Tragedy does not have the last word. Love has the last word. Victory has the last word. God has the last word. He reigns supreme. And we are in every one of those acts, every one of those thoughts, every one of those words, putting, we're investing in eternity. I had, I want to close with, with this, I, I guess I'd call it a vision or a dream that I had this last week. It was the day that we were going to be leaving to take my father off of life support. It was Thursday morning, woke up early in the morning, 
and I, um, I, I was, but I, I was kind of awake and kind of asleep. You ever been like that in the kind of twilight? Just sort of sitting there. I was aware of things around me, but I you know, was too asleep to get out of bed. I was just laying there. And then I had like a, a, a very quick movie uh, flash in my mind. Kind of a dream, but I was awake. And, and, here's, and it made a real impact on me. It summarized this whole thing. It's a good conclusion to this series on love. I saw a room, a, a, a kindergarten room of, of kids. And I was seeing it through the eyes of the teacher. And these kids, as kids often do, were fighting with one another. They had toys, and they're hitting each other with them. And they're going, mine, it's mine, no, it's mine, no, you took it, it's mine, I had it first. And, you know, and they're just having a fit, and they're miserable, and they're scratching each other, and they're just, you know, kids. And the teacher wanted to teach them about love and about giving, and that this is a miserable way to exist. So the teacher came up with this plan. And this whole thing took about maybe 30 seconds to a minute, I guess, but it just takes a while to explain. Uh, the, the, the teacher said, children... If you give the toy that you have, if you give it to somebody else, then tomorrow I'll give it to you and you can keep it. But if you don't give it to somebody else, then at the end of the day, I'm going to take it and you'll never get it. Uh, you won't, you'll never own it. Not only that, but I, I'll give you that toy and I'll give you another toy to give. And if you give that one away, then the next day I'll give you that. And, and every day you'll be getting more toys if you'll just be giving them away. And first the kids are like, I don't know about this. And I, I, I could just see, they're all like you know, looking at each other like who's going to be first and I don't know if I trust this teacher. And it would be so fun to play with this toy today. It's hard to give it away. But then someone's going to give me one so I guess it'll be okay. And so they gradually exchange toys real tentatively. And then the, the movie went kind of fast forward. Uh, but I, I knew exactly what was going on. Every day the kids gave a toy and got a toy, a better toy. And then they gave that toy and got a better toy. And as they were growing up, it, it kind of like covered years, I noticed that they were getting, they grabbed, at first it was just a trade-up deal, you know, like, okay, where's my toy? You know, okay, I gave it away. I, you know, I met the requirement, where's my new toy? But eventually they stopped looking for that new toy and they were lo- always looking for who they could give their toy to. And when they got a new toy, they were like, oh, good, someone would really like to get this one, you see? And, and so they were changing. Finally, we got to the end when they were complete, when they were adults, and now they're ready to graduate. And I was, as looking at them through the eyes of the teacher, they all had these huge bags, but I was aware of the fact that they were all filthy rich. They had kingdoms that they had acquired over years of this trading up program, major kingdoms. And then one of them, speaking on behalf of the whole, said, uh, teacher, we want to give this all back to you as we're graduating so that you can now use it to bless uh, somebody else. We don't, we don't need it at all. We've learned a lesson. The lesson is that the giving is the point of the whole thing. Uh, it, it is life. It is, it, you're alive insofar as you live. Um, insofar as you love, you are real. And someday it will be the only thing that is real. You're, a, you're an adult insofar as you're living in love. And someday all childish things will be uh, put away. You're complete insofar as you're living in love. And someday everything that's partial will be done away. Life is, I believe, the kindergarten for heaven. It's, it's the probationary kindergarten where, where uh, God's goal is to teach us how to be in his image, teach us how to do what he does, teach us how to dance with him and participate in his life. And we, like these children, we hang on to stuff, we want stuff, we work for the stuff, we earn the stuff. It's mine, it's mine. And we live in this fallen world where people compete for resources. And we're just like, no, this is mine. And, we, and there's all the fights, all the wars, all the struggles, all the anxiety in the world is a result of that because we know that eventually we'll lose them, but we try to hang on to it anyway. So it creates anxiety and competition and conflict and wars. And what God wants us to learn is to 
learning how to give it away. And he comes down to our level with, with, to, to, to say, okay, let, let's start a trading up program. Here's the deal. Re, you'll, if you sow seeds, you'll reap seeds. You'll reap what you sow. Given it will be given unto you. Gives us all these promises. Yeah, I tell you what, if you invest money, then, then I'll give it back to you. And that's a good thing. I mean, that, that's appropriate for our childlike stage of existence. So a lot of people like give money to the ministry and stuff out of a self-interest. And God will meet them at that level. Okay, I want to show you. you know, test me and see. He says, uh, you know, that, that I, I, I will come through. I'll outgive you. He tells us to challenge him with that. It's God's economy. And he uses that to create wealth so that you have more to give. And then he creates more wealth so you have more to give. It's a wonderful economy. But the goal of the whole thing is at some point grow up and realize that life is found in the giving. The giving is the life. You are a gift. You're a gift from God to yourself, to God, and to other people. And you will be fully you, fully real, fully adult, fully complete to the extent that you come to realize that. You're fully alive when you're living in love. Not centered on yourself, but centered on how can I love? How can I ascribe worth to all people at all times and all situations? And in doing that, you reflect the worth of God. And in doing that, you reflect the worth of who you are because you are most essentially a gift. Give yourself away and you find it. Jesus said it like this. Lose your life and you'll find it. Try to find your life, and you're going to lose it. He was, in some ways, I guess, the supreme kindergarten teacher. My prayer is that as we go into 2003, we do it with a goal of growing up. And we're going to be talking about that, growing up all next year. Uh, Discipleship, how to grow in love, how to become adults in the kingdom, how to manifest the fullness of life. Close your eyes, would you? I want to end with this. It would be good at the end of this year. I don't believe in New Year's resolutions. They never, ever work. So this is, this is just a resolution. It's not New Year's. But it's a commitment. It's a little sign uh, between you and God. If in your heart you want to make a commitment to be more loving, more, less self-centered, uh, more Christ-like, starting today, going into your future, if that's a commitment you want to make, just raise your hand before God. Just raise your hand real high. Hallelujah. Lord, see all these uh, commitments. Bless them. Holy Spirit, seal it. Make it a resolve and use it to transform them. Amen. You can put your hands down. Finally, if there's anybody here who would like to, for the first time perhaps, or maybe it's a reconsecration, commit your life to Jesus Christ, would you just stand up? You've never surrendered your life to Christ. I want you to stand up where you are. Be bold, and I want to pray for you. I'm going to take a half a minute to do this. Uh, in the back, there's a man. Praise God. Over here, there's a, uh, a, a lady. You want to surrender your life. Maybe for the first time, you got it. You're loved. You're precious in his eyes. You need to simply say, okay, back there, another person, another person. You, you just need to say, I, I surrender to that. You're not saying you're going to be religious. Heavens no. You're not joining a church. You're just committing your life to Jesus Christ. You want to live for him. You're a sinner, the Bible says, and you need a salvation. Stay standing, please. Anybody else want to join these who are standing? Others keep praying. In the back again, amen, amen over there. Anybody else? Just stand up, be bold. This is the time. Say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Amen, that's wonderful. Several over here are standing. I would like us, those who are standing, I'm going to lead you in a prayer here, okay? Pray it from your heart. Another person over here, wonderful. It takes a little bit of guts, but this is how we all come to him. It's about saying your marriage vows. Over there, a number of people, praise God, I love doing this. This is my paycheck. Uh, just uh, to say, to start a relationship with him. Pray this after me. We'll all join you as a source of support, but it's like a wedding vow. Pray it from your heart.
as Heavenly Father, I've been a sinner. Haven't lived for you. I've been living for myself. And yet, you love me. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me, that I could be forgiven, and I could have a relationship with you. I accept you, Lord Jesus. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to forgive me, to wash me, to make me clean, to live in me, and to help me live for you the rest of my life. I love you, and I surrender to you. Amen. Amen. I am so happy for you who have stood up and made that commitment. That is so good. That is so good. That is so good. That is so good. I, I, that is such a thing of beauty. And though, okay, those who prayed that prayer, whether you stood up or not, would you please take one minute out as people are dismissed and come up to this corner here with this lady, this wonderful, nice lady. has got some, just some free information she wants to give you that will really help you get started. You've now entered the war. The enemy hates what you just did. You need to get some fundamental information very quickly. And uh, so please come forward and get that. Uh, if you would like some prayer, as the prayer team comes forward, uh, we have some folks who would be, love to spend some time with you. And so feel free to come forward for a time of prayer. Otherwise, I want us to go out and end this year and start the new year uh, with a commitment to just love like Jesus loves. Get God's love for you. Give God's love to others. Lose your life and you'll find it. In Jesus' name, let's all grow up. Love you.